What is up? What's good? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. Hope you're off to a good start. It's Monday. You know what that means. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Excited to bring you all this conversation today. This conversation was one that probably only a a room full of 100 people have heard. This was the conversation that happened the day the juice launched. So this was our launch event. We got some content from it, and I said, you know what? I think it's time to dust it off. It's about a month or so old. Let's share it with the listeners. It's that good. So on this conversation, we've got a panel discussion, a fireside chat, if you will, on the future of content marketing with some amazing minds in the content space. So this conversation is facilitated by Christian Anderson at High Alpha, who's one of the partners there, helping support the juice as well. And on this panel, we've got Lindsay Chepkema, who is the CEO at Casted. Go check out Casted. We got Holly Enneking, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Lev. And we got Devin Bramhall, who is the CEO at Animals, one of my favorite content companies. And I got to mention them. I got Jonathan on the panel too. So we got the CEO of The Juice, Jonathan Gandalf. You've heard him on this podcast. He participates in this panel too. I'm excited to share it with you. If you like what we're doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a friend, tell a content marketing friend about the 3C podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. Welcome to the Future of Content Marketing panel that we're going to stage for you today. It is just awesome to be around people, see all these bright, shining faces. And I'm always kind of curious when you see the registration numbers come in, like who's actually going to show up. So thank you for showing up. This is like, this is an awesome turnout. I would like to start by asking you all to join me in a big round of applause for the juice. <laughs> and, and, and Jonathan and Eric and the team on a spectacular launch day. I asked Jonathan if he had gotten to inbox zero prior to the panel, and he just stared at his feet and shook his head. So <laughs> that's always a, that's always a good that's always a really good sign. So we're we're gonna try to be efficient and and blaze through the panel and hopefully get into some uh, thought provoking and interesting discussion around a number of topics related to content marketing. We are gonna carve out a little time at the end for Q and A. So let's get let's get started. In the prep call for this, we were talking about the distinction between introducing guests and having guests introduce themselves. <laughs> I'm on team guests introduce themselves. Otherwise, they're forced to sit through this weird boilerplate language that somebody pulled off the about us section of their website. And I think this gives you all the opportunity for more colorful introductions about you and your businesses. So let's kick off with our esteemed guest, Jonathan Gandalf. We're going to start over here. Uh, Thanks, Christian. Uh, And thank you, everyone, for coming out today. It means a lot to the team. Everyone in the red shirts and the juice shirts, thank you to the team. And Eric, who wore the blue shirt, he's not working security. Uh, He just likes being different. Uh, I'm Jonathan Gandalf, co-founder and CEO of The Juice. We're on a mission to change the B2B marketing experience with awesome marketers like the ones on our panel today. We want to bring the B2C consumer experience of Spotify, Netflix, any retail experience, to the B2B content space. So thank you for coming and excited to talk about the future of content marketing. It's great. Lindsay? Awesome. Um, I, wow, that's very loud. Uh, I'm Lindsay Chepkema. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Casted. 
And we are making it possible for B2B marketers to harness the power of audio and video content um, as the center of their entire B2B marketing strategy. Amazing. Holly? Hi, everyone. I'm Holly Enneking. I'm Vice President of Marketing at Lev, which is a marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy based here in Indianapolis that's all about helping marketers make real connections with their customers using Salesforce, but also more broadly across their marketing strategy. Devin? I'm going to go ahead and turn this on. Is it on? <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, I'm Devin. I'm the CEO of Animals. We are a content marketing agency on a mission to make the internet a more helpful place. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we, we're in for a treat. This is an experienced and dynamic group of panelists who spend their life in the, in the world of content marketing. And as you know, the title of this panel is The Future of Content Marketing. But just as a level set, I thought we might kick off by talking about the current state of content marketing. So uh, historically, so much dough flowed into kind of the traditional kind of analog marketing channels and maybe most notably events, trade show, traditional advertising spend. Then the pandemic happens and face-to-face IRL dries up. I'm curious how that shift has impacted kind of the current state of content marketing. Yeah, I can jump in first. So I think one of the things that we saw a lot because of COVID was obviously everyone switching gears from being in events, having those sort of on-stage experiences, meeting people in person, suddenly you have to really lean into those digital experiences and primarily content. But it can't just be content for content's sake. It absolutely became quality over quantity because people are really, and especially during COVID, we all wanted connection. We want authenticity. We want to feel connected to the brands. We want to get something out of the brands. And so it couldn't be just like the churning out content because we need to have a blog post this week or this day or having some, you know, the new report that you always have what content can we put out there to take the place of those in-person authentic relationships that we were looking for and really build that brand perspective? I think that's one thing that a lot of marketers saw was that they really needed to lean into brand marketing in a really mm. big way. And content was a way to do that. That's good. Sure. That's, that's good. I was just going to add to that yet yeah, that even now more than ever before, more is not the answer. I mean, because mm. We have, I mean, since we're all have been working from home and your competition, it has always been literally anything else. Like your audience can read or watch or listen to or consume literally anything else. And now even more so it's like they can turn it off and get, you know, clear their minds or they can go for a walk and listen to some other podcast or watch some other, you know, type of content. So um, more is not better. Better and more engaging is better. Better is better. <laughs> better is I like better. it. Somebody tweet that. It's good. <laughs> we also saw a difference in subject matter too. This was something that we tried to advise against heavily uh, to our customers right when the pandemic hit. I think it was a very reflexive action where a lot of folks were like, we need to get into remote work. We need to talk about these topics that really had nothing to do with their business. And I think it was part of that panic response. Like we just need to have our voices heard because our other voices in forms of events, for example, were taken away from them. And so there was sort of this immediate like, oh, we need to kind of go off brand a little bit uh, first. And then we also saw, which was very interesting, another reflexive action, which was like high volume against quality. Like we actually didn't see this immediate turn to quality. We saw the opposite. And it was upon us to really counsel our clients and say, look, you know, we were hurt by the pandemic too. We lost a ton of business um, in those first six weeks. But now more than ever, the core tenets of content marketing, which is stay the course, right? This is not something like 
paid advertising that's going to pan out immediately. Like you have to build that foundation, stick to the principles of quality and trust that it will pan out. And the folks that did actually really saw, and I think are coming around to that idea that like, oh yeah, duh, quality still our first, <laughs> first priority, right? Like volume isn't better. Tapping into the latest topic du jour isn't the answer either. We have to stick with what our brand's about and serve our readers. Christian, I, I know we said not every panelist is going to answer every Let's question. Yeah, We were very fortunate. I think we launched the business in July of 2020, which was a tough time to launch a business, but we we spent the first four months talking to as many marketers as possible and just echoing what they said. All of a sudden, budget was shifting away from trade shows, events, field marketing. They're traditionally big budget items in the marketing budget and then thrown at content, but without much of a plan. So it it immediately went to, let's just create content and see what happens. And now I think people are, as they plan for next year, adjusting to, okay, we're starting to learn what content marketing means for our business. And I think content marketing is going to come out of the pandemic in a much better place. You know, I, I loved your comments, Devin, and it made me think, we use the term invest in content marketing, but it works just like investing. And if you're a retail investor that rejiggers your portfolio every quarter based on a news cycle, you're going to lose. And those content marketing investments compound the same way interest compounds. And if you're constantly pulling dough out of one savings account and putting it in a T-bill and then over to a bond and then a public equity, you just end up destroying value. And so much of it is about sticking with the plan and being patient. And uh, I think it's frustrating to non-marketers when they hear that too, because they're like, come on, right? But it really, it's like saving for retirement and the dividends will come for sure, but you have to take a pretty, a pretty long view. And I think that the qualitative nature of even the term content marketing is, is hard for people who are results driven and need to make a number to sometime wrap their brains around. Well, but content marketing is easier to measure than it ever was. And so I think it's just about educating, like educating the folks on the team that aren't content marketers on how different ways you can measure it. That's a lot of what we do with our customers because we do get a lot of folks who come to us and maybe if content marketing isn't listened to on their team, which is still very much a thing, um, or we're not working directly with a content marketer, we're working with a founder, for example, who doesn't know how to measure or isn't used to measuring content. Um, a lot of what we do is educate them on how to measure and what to look at and how to, how to experience value. Because, you know, in my day, uh, when I was a baby content marketer, right, it was kind of hard to measure. We were still measuring top of funnel traffic. Right, right. Attribution is easier than ever. And so I think now your portf- your content portfolio, it should be easier to track whether or not it's yeah. getting value. Well, and, and we are, all of us on this panel are held to numbers, right? And so it it is on leadership who have a say over whether or not content marketing matters, whether or not brand matters to say it absolutely does. It is the tip of the sword and it's, it's not, it's a non-negotiable. Hmm. And to to make it something that is respected and recognized as an important part of every strategy. And, and that's the challenge we all just talked about. It's not about quantity in the content marketing game, but it is about measurement. Mm-hmm. It's finding, striking that right balance between measuring quality and outcomes of content marketing programs. Not about quantity, but it is about quantification. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me tweet that one too. So maybe more than ever, B2B marketing tactics are being compared to B2C marketing tactics. I'm, 
I'm curious if you think B2B marketers can and should do more to emulate and borrow from what's working on the B2C side of the ball. I think from an experience perspective, absolutely. I, you know, we talk about being Spotify for B2B content marketing, but also nobody's signing a five-figure contract on Spotify. So you have to strike that right balance of delivering content in an experience that they want and an experience that they like. It's very familiar. You know, in the last 10 years, consumer expectations have changed. Consumer technology has changed. But our B2B content playbook hasn't changed as much. So that's, that's the opportunity we want to help solve for with the juice. Good. And I think there's so much to be learned too from B2C. There's a certain amount of creativity and how they build those relationships and leaning into that authenticity of their brand and bringing those touch points. Often content can be that first piece to so that first interaction that a consumer has with your brand. And so it's a great opportunity to lean into that type of creativity and building that connection with someone that makes them want to read more and take that next step and get connected with you. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct some specific questions now. So... Well, it's hot seat section of the panel here. I, I want to ask Lindsay about amplified marketing, this idea of putting audio and visual content at the center of your marketing strategy. How do you balance, this goes back to kind of some earlier points, how do you balance quality with the mandate, though, that you, you need to win the battle for SEO, for example, mm-hmm. which can, in many ways, be a numbers game? How do you balance it? So at some point along the way, SEO became the strategy instead of, you know, part of like one of the outcomes, right? So we, over the last 15, 20 years, what was a thing to help us reach our audiences and say, I'm going to serve this audience. Wow. There's this company called Google that's going to help me get in front of my audience. And all I have to do is understand how, you know, how they're, how they want to help me has turned into Google is my audience, mm-hmm. right? And so if you if we yeah. take a step back and say, how do I serve my audience over algorithms? Not instead of, but before. Like, how do I reach out to my audience first? SEO and, and Google want the same thing. We all want, you know, should want to serve our audience first. You know, what Google wants is to serve their audience with the right information that they're looking for fast. And so if we serve up that right, that right information, and help Google help us, that's, that's how the whole thing should work. So if you start with rich, authentic, real, engaging content, you start with a conversation in audio and video form, and you ring it out, you amplify it across all those other channels, inevitably that's going to be keyword rich information, keyword rich content that Google is going to want to find that your audience wants. And it that's how it's supposed to work, mm. right? So if we go back to the basics, it, it just, it makes sense. That's how you game the system is by actually doing what makes sense. Yeah, that's... It just makes sense. That's a minority... Tweet that. That's a minority... <laughs> that's a, that whole thing. That's a, I think that's a minority view, which is absolutely correct. We're setting out to change that. Yeah, yeah, continue. <laughs> Devin, let's talk about AI. Let's talk about GPT-3, the impact of that on content marketing in particular. We've, it's coming for sure. It's here for sure. Um, How should content marketers be thinking about the implications of AI on the generation of content? And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on how do they prepare for that? How do they contend with any ethical dilemmas that emerge from that? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So since I have been working in startups, like technology has been coming for our jobs, you know, 
I used to work for a customer service software company and all the customer service folks were like, oh my God, robots are coming from our jobs. And we used to write about that. And my, what I've seen repeatedly is that, and my belief is that AI is a helper. It's a sous chef. It's your support team. Um, it's not the answer. And anyone looking to AI as the solution is in a race to the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. If you rely fully on a technology brain for all your thinking, all you're getting is something that, consu- that can consume and interpret. It can't experience in the same way a human can. And so your outcomes are always going to be limited, right? Humans, you know, the way to uniqueness is through uh, earned secrets from your company, right? Interviews with, you know, subject matter experts, data and how you interpret that data. So uh, I think that, you know, AI is a great support tool, um, but it's never going to be the the thing that takes over for human beings. Because if you think about it, like what makes novel content? It's the kind of stuff that Google can't really formulate into a rich snippet. Novel content doesn't have a a one structure. That's what makes it novel, Hmm. right? And so I think that, you know, if you're using AI as your helper um, and you still focus on quality as your number one differentiator, and add to it another differentiator that I think is really important, which is distribution as differentiator. Distribution, specifically for B2B SaaS, which is my industry, has fundamentally changed in my day. Uh, <laughs> and again, like people used to follow B2B SaaS brands enthusiastically, the way they follow like Wendy's now um, and Moon Pies. It was really cool to follow a B2B SaaS brand, and you had like a dedicated social person who like interacted with other folks. Um, and that's just not the case anymore. And I think a lot of B2B SaaS companies are like, oh no, what do I do? Like, what do I do about distribution? But if you think about it, like the obstacle is the way and you use distribution as sort of like your complement to like AI helping you out, your own human brain, making it novel. And then thinking from the, like creating with distribution in mind, you're now going to come up with like a really robust community strategy and use that to access new groups of people. Right. I mean, I hate to bring conspiracy theories into it, but like there's like, there's a way that these things start in these really hidden communities and then they spread throughout the world. And so I think like it's sort of AI plus distribution plus humanity. And that's like a really beautiful new equation that I think we're only just scratching the surface of right now and like yeah. figuring out. I think it's such a good point. We we talk a lot at High Alpha about coaching networks, which is kind of the combination of humans doing work and improving based on feedback that AI is 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 offering. But it only works if there's a human in the mix because AI only augurs on what it knows. It, it, if you don't have a human that's introducing kind of beneficial mutations, what you would call a novel content, it ends up just augering down into more of the same. And, and that is, I think the sentences written by robots are going to become more poetic and better structured and grammatically correct. But the remarkableness of it uh, at this point, I think we're a long way away from that being encroached upon 
by the machine, but there are plenty of people that are already trying to outsource that. And it's pretty clear the delta between quality and at least human quality and yeah. machine quality. You can't replace my opinion. Like <laughs> yes. no one grew up in Littleton and then Dover and like fell out of a boat when I was little and then like got that, you know, my sister said that it was like a turtle that tried to snapping turtle that tried to get me. And then I, you know, like you can't replace all of my experiences that help me connect all of these different dots together into an opinion. Like a computer can't copy that. And so it's like, if you as a content marketer are like, sit down and look at what the job to be done, right. And come up with a topic with your own brain, your own background, your own stories Mm. and your own network around you. And you talk to other people, that story cannot be copied by a computer and only makes you, your brain, your job that much more valuable and absolutely irreplaceable by technology. So like, I actually think that like AI is showing us that humans are more important than ever and that it truly is second fiddle. Like we are the, like, we're the driver. AI is I don't know, the car. Yeah. And it's like, cool, like, let's design a better car. Like, let's make this a Ferrari, right? But like, we're still stepping on the gas and making it like yeah. go where we want it to go. So good. Yeah, it's good. Holly, this one's for you. And I I'll preface it by saying panels where people don't disagree <laughs> are not very much fun. No, <laughs> so we're going to start a fight. Now, I so. would, I would invite, I would invite any other perspectives uh, in addition to Holly's on this, but I'm going to start with you. So. Content marketing is, will tend to kind of fall into one of two camps. It's a demand generation activity, or it's a brand building, a function of brand building within the marketing org. I'm curious your thoughts on which one is it mm-hmm. and how kind of most effectively to deploy it to one of those ends. Yeah. So I think my opinion on it has very much changed over time. I would say five years ago, back in my day, I was very much in the camp of demand generation. Let's gate our content. Let's, you know, create that barrier for someone to get to the content that we want to have so that we can then have a reason to reach out and have a conversation rather than leaning into that authentic brand building where content becomes the opportunity for them to want to engage with you. You're not forcing the connection. You're giving them value. That's then demonstrating the value of your brand, which then creates a more realistic, authentic relationship for you to move that conversation forward in a meaningful way. So I would say if you had asked me five years ago, if I would put content on a website that was ungated, no way, there's no way that I'm doing that. I need those leads. I need to have that. I'm being held to those metrics. Now where I am at Love, that brand is everything for us. That is much more important to me, building that brand than the demand generation, because the brand building leads to the demand. I'm using our brand and our content to demonstrate to someone our value. And for Lev, we're a services business. What we are selling is the expertise and the time and talents of the people on our team. And our content is a mechanism for us to put that front and center, for us to demonstrate up front. Here is the expertise that we can bring to you. This is how we can help you do better marketing, get more out of you know the investments that you've made with Salesforce, the investments that you're making on your team. And if that's meaningful to you, let's have a conversation and dive deeper, mm-hmm. which then when we get people who do reach out to us, those are much more qualified leads. We're moving them down the funnel more quickly. We're getting more out of those relationships than just, you have to fill out this form in order for me to get connected with you. That's good. I'm curious. Anyone take the opposite side of that bet? This, this is the part where you want me to disagree with the customer? No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have maybe a, a different perspective on yeah. that. And I, I think like uh, maybe a larger, I think demand generation as a function is kind of fading. Mm-hmm. I think 
you see account-based marketing rising, you see growth marketing rising, product-led growth as a go-to-market lever increasing. I think people are moving away from that demand generation forced form experience. You know, we're just going to get their contact information and beat them into submission until we can get them through our sales process or until they abandon our brand altogether. I think demand generation as a whole is changing and being broken into different pieces. I'm I'm curious, do any of you have gated content on your sites? Right now? Yeah. I think think so. That does that that. does feel like a sea change though. You know, I mean I mean the common thread, like what we've all been saying here, the common thread is humanity. The common thread is is audiences before algorithms, you know, authenticity before um, you know automation and AI. You know, it's all of those things are helpers. And there, there is a place for demand gen. There is a place for growth. There is a place for, op, you know, conversion rate optimization. Because again, if you're serving the audience, you're making it easier for them to raise their hand. Yeah. You're reaching out your hand and saying, you know, like, can you wanna wanna come aboard? And like, that should be the mindset. It mm-hmm. should be serving an audience. It should be providing entertainment or um, engagement or education. It should be leveraging technology to get to get in front of the people that are going to care about what you have to say truly. And you know, whether it's AI or SEO or, or gating a, something that truly makes sense, can't think of one right now, but <laughs> if, if, you are, if you're putting the, the needs of the business first by gating something or by putting SEO first or by using, you know, saying, I'm going to sprinkle AI all over it, mm. you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And so truly, whatever question you ask, audience is the answer. Mm. And if you are doing it to serve your audience, some of these tactics are going to make sense, but it has to be audience first. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Can I go off script for a minute? Of course. I'd be curious to hear from one or more of you, like other than your own companies or anybody else sitting next to you, like who is killing it? Who does a great job of this? Who do you get inspiration from? Who inspires you in the B2B marketing space? Oh, it speaks a little bit to what Devin was talking about earlier in terms of owning your data and using your data to your advantage. Gong, uh, sales uh, intelligence. I so I see a lot of heads nodding <laughs> in the crowd. Yeah, they do a tremendous job. I mean, their brand is bright and loud, but they do a tremendous job of using their own proprietary platform data and sharing that in a helpful way with their prospects, with their customers. I mean, we are neither a prospect nor a customer, but we reference their data all the time. And that's, I think that's wow. a gold mine. I hear they have a really, really cool, good-looking podcast page. I've heard that as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allie and the Oop. That's a good one. That's anyone, anything else to pop my I, I was also going to say Gong, but Drift. It's such a beautiful brand. It's so authentic. Like, there's just so much that I love about it. It always brings me in. And then, too, on top of it, they really deliver with the content. Everything that I read on there, I take something away from. There's nothing that I've read on their blog or anything that they put out that felt like a waste of time for me. Like, there's always some some sort of nugget that I can take away, which I know that if I read something on their site, I'll and learn. They they've broken up their podcasts into they at any given day they have like five, four or five, six different shows because they're serving their audiences. Like they have. Mm-hmm. They have one general audience and then they know that they have segments and they're like, you know what? We're not going to try to boil the ocean and have this one show that appeals to everyone. We're going to make sure that we're really speaking to each yeah. individual audience about yeah. what they actually care about. And so they're getting really segmented, which isn't for everybody, but they, they do a good job of it. And I'll say there's a reason Devin is here. Animals in the content marketing space, just like we, we talk to a lot of content marketers and they're always referencing the work that Devin and her team does. I highly recommend subscribing, checking out their blog. It's uh, incredible. But there's a secret about us because like, and I love telling the secret to everyone. 
our traffic numbers are not high. Like we don't have this like monster (laughs) newsletter list. Like this is a great example of where content can produce a facade that's much greater than the actual like land mass, right? Like we have, I don't know, I think we get about 30,000 unique visitors a month. We, I think we have maybe 5,000 newsletter subscribers. When I worked at Help Scout, I think when I left, we were over 400,000 unique visitors a month. I think their, gosh, their newsletter list is like 80,000 or something now. So um, we don't even rival past companies I work or many of the companies that we service. Hmm. Um, but again, for us, it's about quality over quantity. And we didn't focus, we didn't write a single post for search. I think we wrote one really early on. Um, well, first of all, we didn't have content marketing for the first two years that we existed. Secondly, we didn't write for search for a long time. We just wrote about what we wrote about stuff that came up on sales calls. Yeah. So we know we identify themes mm. and we'd write about them. And we didn't get everyone. We got the people that mattered yeah. to the point where like our referral network is so strong. So we're actually getting the majority. We've, we stopped marketing in July. Like we've barely written a post since July and our, we're about to have our third highest month for leads ever. And that is just a testament to yeah. like, you can measure all numbers all day long, go for it, see how it goes, but like build that audience network, like build that community. And that will be a much bigger difference. I'm so glad you're sharing so openly those numbers, because what do the numbers mean? Like, what are you comparing it to? What is a benchmark? And, you know, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Don't compare your story to someone else's. It's, are you reaching the right people? And do those people love you? Are they, are they engaging with you? That's, that's what matters. I mean, if you have a million people coming to your site and they're not engaging, mm-hmm. or if you have, you know, the right people that really love what you're doing, which you do. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm so glad you're sharing that. And more, more people need to share that because it, it's not about some magic number. It's about engagement. It's about the people. It's about your audience. Are, are you, are you getting in front of the people that you want to get in front of? And do they care about what you have to say? It's over, it's oversimplifying it, but that's, that's, no, it's so good. It's so good. And yes, thanks for being vulnerable about that as well, because everyone feels that way. You know, C.S. Lewis said, true friendship starts when one person looks at another and says, you too, I thought I was the only one. (laughs) So that, that is, and especially when we're working in a pretty high pressure, high expectation uh, business where, you know, in addition to, and in spite in many ways of everything you shared, we are still, we are still being measured and judged by our overlords on, on numbers. And so even just calibrating people's expectation around what they should expect is so, is so important. I'm glad you, I'm glad you pushed a little bit further <laughs> into that one. That's really good. Well, let's transition to some Q&A. And I'm really comfortable with awkward silence, so I'm happy to sit here for protracted periods of time. But any questions from you all for, the, for our panelists? So. Um... I'm, I'm David DeVore. I'm newly minted uh, entrepreneur residence here. So I've been sort of in this content marketing space for in B2B and B2C. And like most B2B content sort of makes me just cringe and want to puke, right? So I'm, I'm really interested to hear like, and okay, tactically, what can B2B do to be more like B2C? Because B2C nails it. Like B2C, like we can all, we sort of all look around and we look at B2C and it's like, yeah, wow, that's 
HBO is great, right? So what can be this, what can tact, what are the tactics that B2B marketers can take to actually have an effect and not be so cringy? I actually think that's the wrong question to ask. I I have one too. So go go ahead. Yeah. So I think it's like anytime it's the same question as like, you know, how can B2B use AI? It's like, okay, but like, do I don't actually think the B2C content is blanket very good. So there's that. I think it's like, what can you, as your unique company, do to serve your audience in a unique way that's different from what everything else that's out there? Yeah. So find your unique stance find unique data, talk to people, um, subject matter experts, your customers to discover those kernels that those kernel questions, those kernel perspectives and write something different, right? It, It involves doing your research to see what's already out there. So like, look at all the bad repetitive content. We call it copycat content. So it's like, there's everyone's trying to plus one another person's idea, find a new idea And I believe that you find that through talking to customers, looking at your own proprietary data. um, And sure, maybe even looking at B2C and experimenting with new stuff and like trying, you know, different creative things. But I think it's really in the the idea, the stance, the opinion, the perspective, the information that you can share that's adding something versus trying to repackage the same thing over and over. And I think that's what makes B2B content so cringy. Same, same, same. But is the goal to be more like B2C or is the goal to reach your audience, right? Like the best content, regardless of whether it's B2C or B2B, or I don't think somebody sitting at home watching Netflix is thinking, wow, this is some really great B2C content. <laughs> this, is just, this is just crushing it. I feel like it's such a great, like served consumer. The best content, you know, like knows their audience. The best, the best content serves an audience. I mean, Marvel fan, Casted did it to me. Um, and they just keep producing content that this fan base that they know wants. And they just like, they're, they're producing um, movies. Yes. And shows. Yes. And also behind the scenes. Yes. Because they know that their, their audience wants it. Right. And that's, yes, that's B2C, but like what really the, the common thread, there's some awful B2C content. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you been on Instagram? Like it's <laughs> horrible, but the best stuff that really resonates, whether it's a commercial or a movie is like, wow, this was for me. Yeah. Like they took a minute to, to figure out what, what I want mm. and I feel seen and I feel heard and I feel entertained, you know? And mm. so that's, I mean, who's it for? Why are you doing it? Yeah. Always start there. I think the question that I like to, an- to ask for the content is, so what? Like if I put this out in the world, what question am I answering? What problem am I solving? If one person reads it and gets this nugget from it, then it's worthwhile. So if you can start with that question, what am I answering? What am I solving? So what? Mm-hmm. Then at least you've answered that and you've got some reason to put it out there rather than just the churning out volume. Yeah. Good. Maybe time for one more. First, CFO of uh, Springbok. So numbers, guys. I love the you guys came around. Switch the content. How do you sell that shift that get someone to understand the quality of time? I'll take this one first as the head of marketing on the panel here. (laughs) So I would say for me, a lot of it is about building an authentic relationship with the people that I'm working with, with the CFO, with the CEO, with the CSO, so that they understand that it's not always numbers. Like I want to bring numbers when I can. I really try and lead with numbers where they are meaningful, where I know that I can stand behind them. 
but brand isn't always necessarily measurable. Sometimes it's this person said that they listened to the podcast and that's why they reached out to us. I can attribute that in some ways, but it's a little softer. And so some of it is about taking the time to build a story around what it is that you want to accomplish and what you think you can get out of it and taking time to be invested in that relationship so that they know when you're telling them that you're delivering, that they believe you and you've got numbers to back it up. They believe the numbers that you have that can have strength, but that you put the time into the relationship to really help them understand and get on your same level. I think it's a two-way street. Not every CMO can expect every, you know, not every CFO can expect the CMO to think about the business in the same way. And that's why they work well together because they see the business differently. And so if there's not that partnership, it's not going to work. And so I think if the CMO can find a way to find the numbers that work, but tell the story that lifts it up, then I think you can get to a good path. You got to want it on both sides. <laughs> you can also show progress too. Like, I mean, this is a lot of what we do is I remember when we first started working with Google, they we were working with like a specific product that they were uh, trying to grow. And they were like, okay, I remember us walking in San Francisco with the head of growth. And she's like, so how long specifically? I was like, okay, well, <laughs> generally three months for, cause we were focused on search content. So that is easier to measure. And so I said, well, generally around three months, but I can't promise anything, but you know, you can create reporting to show progress towards a keyword. If you publish an article on a keyword, you're targeting kind of like the one main keyword, there's sort of a family of keywords around that you can show whether or not it's starting to rank for the sort of lower volume keyword family, and then going up in the ranking towards that specific one. So you can show progress for us as a service business who does not have a CRM. We use Airtable and we customized it. I'm the CEO and I actually cannot measure the effects of our marketing towards our bottom line. Um, But I do see how, you know, our audience is growing on social, how our newsletter subscribers are growing, how traffic is growing when we're (laughs) doing any marketing. And so like, there are numbers that you can show around your efforts build a narrative. And if there's something marketers are good at, it's storytelling. (laughs) So um, if you get a really good, you know, someone who's comfortable enough with numbers and then can build a narrative for you, we can tell you a pretty good story. How true it is, is questionable, but. I also um, just want to back up and focus on the fact that you said that you were creating search content for Google. I just. Yeah. 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 I know. I just wanted to like call it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have some weird stories. Yeah. I bet that was very cool. I first heard Tim Kopp say, and I, maybe he was quoting somebody else, but not everything that, ma- that matters can be measured and not everything that you measure matters, that can right. be measured matters, right? And ain't that the truth? And like, you're, you're talking really tactically. And I, I, again, I, I think it was mentioned before, but as, as leaders, when you, and, and any, so everyone's a leader, right? When you have the opportunity as a marketer to speak up and say, not everything that matters can be measured and not everything that can be measured matters, brand is important. There are some things that we can measure. There are some things that we can't say it. Amen. Because yeah. we, we as leaders have to change. You're talking about narrative. Yep. We have to change that narrative. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, I'm running a company now. We have lots of things that we measure that matter, but there are lots of other things that I know from my past experience mm-hmm. that just have to be done that, that are the tip of the sword that changed the rest of and that if we turned it off, we would have big problems. Mm-hmm. And it's up to me and everyone else in a, in a role like mine to say, these things matter and should be just non-negotiable. So one also maybe tactical item to do is like reverse engineer the funnel, right? Marketers traditionally focus, pop a funnel down, find your best customers. Mm-hmm. The, those people who are your evangelists understand what question you answered for them, then go create content that answers that question and find more people that look just like them. 
so often the people that engage with your content pre-closed one are the people that become your customer evangelist. So find the question that you answered for them and find more people asking that question. It's so good. That was a great question for a finance guy, by the way. <laughs> for a finance guy. That was guy, amazing. Yeah. In closing, I'd love it if maybe we'll start with you, Devin. If you would just share with the audience, take a few minutes to tell people where they can find out more, where they can find you. Animals.co. I'm going to keep it simple. That's where our blog is. Um, we have a Twitter account that we, I made us launch that I don't know <laughs> if we should have or not. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, animals.co. That's where our blog is. You can sign up for a newsletter there. Yeah. So for love, you can find us at lovedigital.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter, the plus side there. And if you're going to find us on social, I would say LinkedIn is the place to go. Uh, Casted is at casted.us. Surprisingly, we have a podcast. We have several uh, that you can find there. You can also find us on Twitter and I'm myself and my co-founders are really active on LinkedIn. You can sign up for our platform at app.thejuicehq.com. Learn more about the business at just thejuicehq.com. Uh, we've got a way for you to sign up for the platform upstairs, tag us on social. You can win a new juicer, not a new car, a new juicer. <laughs> Next year, new car. Not a Ferrari? <laughs> not this year. Okay. okay, so again, thank you on behalf of Hi Alpha, who's hosting us today, and uh, also the Juice, who we're here. Thank you all. Uh, kind of celebrate, and thank you to you all for carving some time out of the back half of the day to spend time with us. This was amazing. This was really cool. There was so much heat on that panel that my mind started racing. I got really excited. Some of the things that I'm working on were validated in that chat. And one of the things specifically that I want to call out is just the volume game in the conversation around doing more. That is something that I am working really hard to combat. I'll take quality over quantity any day and I'll do whatever I can to help spread that message. Hopefully a lot of what they talked about resonated with you too. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend about 3C Podcast. Are you signed up for the juice? Go to thejuicehq.com. Start enjoying your frictionless content experience. Today it's free. Have a good start to your week. Make it count. Talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs>